0: what's going on everybody welcome to the backpacking podcast live stream i am here with my good friend
1: your mom's favorite podcaster jeremiah stringer how you doing man (laughs) i'm doing fantastic man ready for uh, another great show tonight yeah good time man so you were in chicago this weekend Yeah, we did a little traveling man. We downloaded the little Divi lift app, rode bicycles around Chicago. Had a lot of fun. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, There's still a lot of stuff closed because of COVID, but uh, it was still a fun time. I used to live about 45 minutes north of Chicago. So I used to go down there quite a bit back in the day. So as soon as I got in that traffic, I decided I could never live there. (laughs) <laughs> that's a no-go bro
0: you know what the secret is to driving in chicago and people who are drive who live in chicago will tell you this the secret to driving in chicago is as you're driving you find the most expensive car and you cut it off
1: <laughs> why is that the secret to driving
0: because they do not want to ruin their car and they will let you in every single time you can get anywhere you want as long as you find a really expensive car and cut them off Seriously, uh, that,
1: that's a solid life. In that that I guess. is
0: truth, man. That is, that is stone cold truth right there for you. Um, I got to go backpacking this week, man. After my injury, it's the first time I got to go out since, uh, I jacked up my knee back in January.
1: Oh, congratulations. And where did you go?
0: I went out of heaven, the Red River Gorge. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: it's just overnight, but it was just like, I got to go out and sleep in my hammock, you know? So it was, it was pretty awesome. Just getting a chance to finally get back out again after, uh basically sitting at home all the time. I was getting really sick of being at home all the time.
1: Yeah, so. the jacked up knee, bro, but fully recovered, ready to backpack.
0: <laughs> the secret to driving in Chicago is THC.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that going on in Chicago.
0: Yep. Yeah, so uh last week we had Dave Gray David Gray on here. Yeah. Fantastic guest. Was awesome getting to hang out with him and we got a chance to uh to see some of his photography and had a lot of fun with that. And tonight we're going to keep that theme going, um, with a professional full-time photographer, uh, a guy who actually a friend of ours, uh, just sent a message to me, said, I wish I could watch it tonight. He is my, he's one of my all-time favorite photographers. Um, and, and so that that's coming from, uh, let me go look on here real quick, because I want to make sure I tell you who this is, because you're going to be excited to hear that they made this comment. It's coming from Serial Photog.
1: Oh, yes. You know what? Whenever I was watching uh, Dave, who is our guest tonight, I was watching his YouTube channel. I was like, man, after hanging out with Adam, who is Serial Photog, yeah, he really reminds me of Dave. Oh, So maybe, uh, no offense, Adam, maybe he was fangirling, I don't know. Life, go- life Goals? Life goals? Yes, maybe. Is that, is that what this is? Life goals? So uh, so real quick, if
0: you are on here right now and you are not subscribed to the Backpacking Podcast YouTube, you're wasting your time because in just a few months, we are not going to be on our channels anymore. All of these live streams will be on the Backpacking Podcast YouTube channel. So you want to make sure you guys are getting in on that and uh, getting subscribed so you find out when these live streams are going to happen because they're going to keep going we don't want to lose you in the process. So make sure you guys get subscribed to that channel.
1: Love it. Thank you,
0: John. And, uh, I think that's all we need to talk about before we bring on this, uh, this guest that we've got tonight.
1: Yes. Mr. Dave Morrow. Somehow, some way there is people out there that can, uh, they're they're just so great at photography that they can literally do it full time. And this happens to be one of those people. Also has his own YouTube channel, which I highly suggest you go check out. And go not only not only is he
0: a great photographer, he like he loves photography so much. He's got online PDF lessons that you can get for free. And if you're subscribed, he will send you updates and other lessons as you go along. So I just subscribed today because I didn't know about this. I got on his website, downloaded every one of the PDFs. and within the first five minutes, I felt like an idiot that I hadn't thought of half of these things before I read it from him. So he <laughs> has got some great material that you guys need to check out. So let's go ahead and bring to the stream Mr. Dave Morrow. How are you, man? Good. Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. So uh you're like our first, I guess, him and Skirka are kind of like pseudo celebrities, right? Is that yes. is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah. Are well, you are you cool with pseudo. being ranked up there with Skirka? I mean,
2: I'm not at his level for backpacking by any means. At least as far as uh, trips under my belt,
0: he's got about a decade on me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he's done a little bit here and there. I think. So yeah, looking behind you, you you're a backpacker, man. You're like
2: hardcore. Absolutely, yeah. I live a lot of my life out of a backpack, and. There's nowhere else I'd really rather be um, besides out in the wilderness, taking photos and just exploring just the sense of adventure, man. It's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Can you
1: take us through uh, a typical week in your shoes? Give us some context and, and tell us a little bit about like what your life and what your business is about.
2: Absolutely. I'll take you through a boring week and then I'll take you through <laughs> a backpacking week. How about that? that we'll do good. the backpacking week first though. So it's more exciting. I love Uh, it, man. Yeah, so for backpacking trips, I'm always just trying to look at topographic maps. I use just Gaia GPS. And I'll just go into different mountain ranges on Gaia and kind of just overlay it with Google Earth and just try to generate ideas for places that I think would be cool to visit. And they don't have to have trails to them. They can. It's not a bad thing. But I just want to look at the landscape and be like, man, that place looks cool to get into. Let's figure out how to get into it. So I'll just design a route, some of it on trail, some of it off trail, pack 10, 15, 20 days of food and head out and see if I can get into the area. And at that point, I don't really have like a schedule of, I got to stay at a camp this day or this day. I like to just stay wherever I sleep for the night. You know, I go into wilderness areas where there's not designated camping. So it's not like you have to sign up and check into a motel camp spot every night. Um, And then from there, I'll just kind of play it by ear and see what unfolds and get up every day, do a lot of hiking, do a lot of scrambling, bushwhacking, just trying to get into cool locations that are not only fun to hike through, but also fun to take photos of and just kind of let it fly and see what happens. Um, A lot of the times the trips fail because it, it tends to be really hard to get into areas that are extremely high up in the mountains with no online information about them so (laughs) sometimes i'll get there sometimes i don't um and that's just kind of how the trips go every time sometimes i come back with lots of good photos sometimes just one or two
0: so which came first the photography or the backpacking
2: uh the photography came first but they both kind of morphed into the same thing over time so like i was taking photos but they were kind of just boring like going to drive up locations which is fine. Like I'm not dissing anybody that does that because it's a blast when you're doing it. But I have this thing in my brain that always wants to like level up to the next adrenaline rush. So after I got used to that, I was like, okay, how do I keep escalating this to the next thing? And eventually it was just like, well, if you're not living out of a backpack trying to get into new spots, then the rush is not there. So it's like a, it's like a drug addiction, but it's for backpacking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the photos came first, but I don't think I would still be doing photography if I didn't get into backpacking because the mix of both is what makes me really like it.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, we we need to get to know you a little bit better. So we're going to play a little game called Rapid Fire. So be very afraid right now because we are about to delve deeply into who you are as a person. Terrified. Terrified we have this game where we ask the questions and you have two to three seconds to answer. Now, when Jeremiah answers these questions, he does a Kentucky two or three seconds, which is more like 10, 15 minutes. But what we're going to do <laughs> is we're going to ask Jeremiah to go ahead and take his headphones off. Cause he is not allowed to listen to your answers. That way he can't give a false answer trying to sound cooler than you. So Jeremiah, go ahead and take those off. And, uh, we're just going to shoot through some questions real quick. And, uh, as you answer them, I'm going to keep them here on my really high-end scoreboard, which is just the Notes app on my Mac. And I'm going to just re- like type in the answers as you give them. So, first question. What is the most exotic location that you have ever visited? Uh, the mountains out
2: in the middle of nowhere in Washington State.
0: Nice.
2: You want like a beach location, like with a, like a little tiki bar or some shit like that?
0: Oh no, just something, just <laughs> something as, as exotic as you can find.
2: That's so, as exotic as it gets for me. I would, I like to be out in the middle of nowhere as far as I can from people. That's my definition of exotic.
0: That works. That works. So how often each month do you get into the back country?
2: I say I spend six to seven months a year living out of my backpack. Uh, the other few months are spent at home building my business.
0: Perfect. Now, what is your least favorite location or trail that you've ever been on? Anything with a lot
2: of people that's wider than like six feet and has horses on it.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to put anything with a lot of people or horses. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Um, what's the longest flight you've been on?
2: Mm, not that long. I mean, probably like 10 hours or something down to Patagonia in South America.
0: Very cool. And what's your next big trip?
2: Um, not sure yet. Probably within the next month I'll decide. Uh something in the Pacific Northwest, maybe Northern California.
0: Very cool. Okay, so we're gonna let Jeremiah get on. We're gonna find out if Jeremiah is as cool as you are.
2: Probably way cooler.
0: Well we'll give him a thumbs up and he can he can come back on. We'll see what happens here. Yo yo. Are you ready, Jeremiah?
1: As ready as I'll ever be. You know how this goes. Yeah,
0: let, let's let's find out how you do on this one, man. What is the most exotic location you have visited?
1: Backpacking or just in general?
0: Yes, backpacking.
1: <laughs> um, Exotic location. Well, this wasn't backpacking, but we were, uh, hope that maybe it'll disqualify. We were in Ecuador in Baños in the middle of the rainforest. I was risking my life. Because I didn't take the malaria medication. So that was fun, but I got a wife out of it. Well, I mean, <laughs> she's not Ecuadorian for the record. <laughs> you spent a week in Ecuador and brought a wife back. Is that what you're I saying? I didn't buy a wife or steal one or anything. I proposed there I was in the say, rainforest.
0: I've heard your wife's accent. It is definitely not an Ecuadorian accent, it's very Kentucky. <laughs> no, so It's
1: Kentucky. How often, hey, Jeremiah, how often do you get to the back country? Uh, hopefully at least a couple times a month for two or three days at a time. Okay. What's your
0: least favorite location or trail that you have ever been to? Wow.
1: Well, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I mean, probably pretty much any road walking that I do on any trail. Any road walking. <laughs> yeah.
0: Fair enough. So
1: what's the longest flight you've been on? for backpacking this period uh i don't know maybe four hours something like that four hours okay and what's your next big trip oh i'm going to do a section of the shell very very soon for four days okay where's oh, that up here in kentucky <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not a very yeah. big
2: trip I would love That's to go cool. backpacking in Kentucky. I've never backpacked down there.
0: Oh, come on, damn, man. Dude,
1: you gotta we got to go in Kentucky, I,
2: bro. I,
0: it looks beautiful. It is. It is. So, Jeremiah, you want to hear like
1: how you rate next to Mr. David Morrow? Can, can I add on to uh, the big trips I'm planning? Well, I just asked for your, your
0: your next one, not next big trips. This is not a plural. Well, thing. I this. thought
1: I was disqualified because the Shell toe wasn't a big trip. Uh, I didn't even rather give say, a good answer. You'd rather
0: say something else is a big trip. You can. I'm not going to tell you no because I'm not that kind of guy. So give me give me your next big trip.
1: Hopefully, at some point um, this summer, I'm going to be able to revisit some of my favorite memory spots on the Vermont Long Trail. Ooh, that's nice. a that's a good one. Haven't told anybody about that yet. So you heard it here. Wow. Dropping bombs on. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what
0: here's what we found out. What's the most exotic location you visited for Dave? It's the Washington Mountains, but you were saying like out in the middle of nowhere mountains, right? Yeah,
2: there's fortunately a lot of places in Washington that take four or five days by foot, two or three of those being off trail, that it's just so rugged and diverse as far as the terrain that it's just hard to get out there. Nobody really looks to go out there. So if you have a lot of time, you can get out there and you know how to plan logistics of food and caches and stuff like that. Um, Nice. So that's, it's pretty protected in that way, which is nice.
0: Yeah. Well, just so we know, everybody's getting on here with comments about the Kentucky two or three seconds. Here comes the Kentucky two or three (laughs) seconds. Uh, Fun, but I got a wife (laughs) <laughs> and it's never rapid fire with Jeremiah, so
2: <laughs> dude, I got a problem with. I can't do rapid fire very well either. We both it's talk difficult. forever. That's because oh, we're it's... from the the Appalachian Mountains, man. You're That's you're like the is. southern end
0: of the Appalachians. I'm up at the northern end.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it gets well, you talking.
0: And people are saying they're like, "Wow, these people look famous and have accents like everybody." <laughs> 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 so, uh, so ask how often you guys get out of the back country. Dave said six to seven months a year, like total time. That's a lot of time. And you're about twice a month. So uh, that would equal like three months. I don't we'll know. three months. We'll go three months. We'll say three months to make you sound really, really cool. That's
1: very generous. <laughs> yeah,
0: we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, least favorite location or trail you've been on? Dave said anything with a lot of people or horses. And you said road walking. So... Um, it looks like Dave's got you on miles in, in the air too, because he has a 10 hour flight compared to your four hour flight. I hardly ever fly anymore, though. <laughs> so, and, and the last was the next big trip. He's talking Northern California and you're talking Vermont. So, there's two great locations, man. Two great locations.
1: I want to know how Dave does these 10 days worth of food and like how much are you cashing? I've only had to cash food a couple of times. Yeah. C- Can I? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just don't know how you're carrying like more than five or six days.
2: Um, making my own food. So just getting, getting the, uh, calorie density way, way up. Um, I can carry, I mean, with camera gear included, I can carry 10 days without a cash more than, I mean, any more than 10, it's pretty hard without a cash. Um, so I just make, I just make all my food bulk and then I, Uh, dehydrate it and i just put it in like little plastic ziploc bags, so it's like day by day and then i just eat tons of olive oil with that stuff um basically the the dried out foods like quinoa a bunch of veggies like protein green stuff like that um then lots of peanut butter lots of olive oil and then like greens powder and stuff like that and then some multivitamins and i just eat the same thing basically every day but flavored differently
1: Oh wow. What's the proteins? Yeah. Uh
2: for, as far as protein, uh, just quinoa and uh, brown like basmati rice, but it's all just dried out. It's not dehydrated, but it's dried out.
0: Yeah, That's cool. Or so,
2: not freeze rice, I should say. It's dehydrated, not freeze dried.
0: So I'm I'm pretty guarantee pretty much guaranteeing you're talking framed backpack all the way with what you're carrying. You're not doing frameless backpacks with your stuff, are you?
2: Um I just use the hyperlite. Uh, fifty was it? Fifty four hundred? I think whatever the biggest okay. hyperlite pack is. Um, so it does have a very small frame inside it. You can take out, but yeah, it's such a minimal weight that you might as well just keep it in.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so are
1: you um minimalist then when it comes to like I'll carry a sixty five liter pack. Yeah, and still had to put some stuff on the outside, and you're carrying, and that's for like an overnighter or two or three nights. <laughs> yeah, and you're carrying a fifty something liter for like a week and a half
2: yeah i mean a lot of it's just cam it's mostly just camera gear i'm i'm super minimalist like it would be an ultralight setup if i didn't have camera gear and lots of food i mean the base weight i would say for like summer probably around 18 to 20 pounds ish without camera gear um add camera gear in there it's like another eight and then add a tripod and it's another like three on top of that so it's light if you don't have all the extra equipment, like the cameras, yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I can st- fit everything in that pack without having anything on the outside besides my tripod.
0: Well, that's pretty wow. impressive.
1: Yeah. That is very impressive compared to, like I'm taking just a bunch of ridiculous stuff, I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends on the trip length too, right? Like if I do like a three or four day trip, you basically take a lot more nice Stuff it depends like what you want to do. You want to relax and hang out, or are you trying to go out and get photos and like work every day? Depends. So depending on the trip kind, I kind of mix it up as far as what I pack.
0: That's cool. Hey, you we got a really cool, we got a really cool comment in here. I just want to throw up real quick. I'm going on my first backpacking trip in July to the Wind River <coughs> Range for my 12th birthday with my cousin and our parents. That's pretty sweet, man. Nice. Get out there young, man. Get out there young and get on it, bro. I hope you, you know, like and July and the winds is fantastic for bugs,
2: but it's going to be really nice. Uh, It's really, really nice out there that time of year. Bugs and snow, though.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. So, okay, so you, I went online, and I looked through your photos. I guess it was a month or two ago when we first got in contact with each other. And, man, your stuff is incredible.
2: Thank you. I appreciate I just,
0: that. It's absolutely incredible. I want everybody to see this. And if you don't mind, I know like one of the I love, we talked ahead of time and you mm. do something. I really appreciate you don't geotag where you are. You don't send out like the, the location of where you are. Do you want to give a little bit of that before we show these photos? So people understand why you don't do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually really appreciate you bringing that up. So I've been doing photography for, I don't know, about 12 years now. And, When I first started out, it was like the start of Facebook, the start of Instagram, all that stuff was just coming around. So a lot of people were sharing locations and it seemed like it wasn't a big deal then. And what happened over time is people would share locations of once beautiful spots that it's awesome for people to go visit those spots. But the problem is, is they can't take mass visitation as far as the wilderness landscape goes. Things that might seem like they can't be destroyed can easily be destroyed out in the wilderness, even if it's just like greenery or trees or just like moss and stuff like that. And the problem with sharing locations is, not that I don't want people to go see this stuff, I think that's great, but if you share every location you go to, once people get past that beginner stage and they want to design their own trips to all these cool places, they're not going to have any new places left that they can go Like figure out where they want to go and be in solitude and kind of figure out the trip on their own and there's so many like if you're a beginner there's already so many locations for people to go you can just go yeah. google whatever you want and you'll find a million locations you can go visit but the problem will be in the future the person that gets to intermediate or really high level of backpacking they're not going to be able to have a true wilderness adventure if everybody just keeps sharing locations like that so I think it's cool if you want to share with one of your buddies, like, hey, this is a cool place I found. Just tell them in person or take him there on your own. Yeah, go together. But as soon as a location gets loose online, you don't know how many people are going to see it or visit it. And the problem is that I know I ran into when I started backpacking. You don't really know what you're doing, so you'll make mistakes that destroy areas, maybe not in a bad way, but this adds up when there's like hundreds of or thousands of people visiting it. So it's just about protecting the wilderness for the long term is why I don't do that. And yeah. the, the longer people get into it, the more they will see this unfold and the more they'll be like, oh, I can see why I shouldn't have been sharing locations when I started out. But it's hard to see when you just get started. And yeah. it's also a really good like I want to share locations with people like I have like this feeling like "Yeah, I want to show everybody this, but you just can't because it'll just destroy it. Um, long winded answer. But
0: yeah, that's, well, that's kind of the gist of it. Hike with Mike's on here says, I like when folks do not give out locations of where you are. You advertise it and then it gets ruined. That's why I rarely mention where I am. Uh, somebody said, I like the Eagle song. Call someplace paradise, kiss it goodbye. Absolutely. Um, that's a good one. I never knew that was a line of theirs, but that's fantastic. Yeah, And then you've got another one here. Uh, geotagging, the best way to screw up a beautiful place. Absolutely. Uh, first world mass visitation problems. Yeah. Um, So it's not really, not really first world
2: because it, it destroys like something that's been evolving for a billion plus years. So it was there before any first world, second world, third world, it's the real world. And if you destroy the real world, we'll never get back or be able to visit what it once was. So not first world ever, everybody's world. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's a, that's a great way to put that. I appreciate that. Um, let's go ahead and look at some of these photos. Is that okay with you, Jeremiah? We go ahead and do that. Yeah,
1: and for those that are listening, again, you can watch it on the the Backpacking Podcast YouTube channel. But um, I, I'm sure that Dave will kind of describe um, what's going on in the photos, and then some context behind them, and and then some theme that he's going for, something along those lines. But take it away, Dave. What John he he picked out this first photo, and John, you care care to tell us why you picked it?
0: Yeah, what I tried to do is I went through I went through everything that you had online because oh, dude, you're, every time you're a nice every guy.
1: Picture,
0: <laughs> dude, every picture I saw I was just like how does it keep everyone is good, you know? It was just of course I'm thinking to myself, well he's not going to put the bad ones online either, but it's great. These point. are fantastic pictures, but this one I love because when I saw this the first thing that went through my mind was like JRR Tolkien and I thought of like the Hobbit and all of those because it was just like the detail in the in the trees And just the the colors and everything. I mean, what was it that made you take this? Because I see stuff like this, and I don't think to take a picture of it. What was Um, it that that went behind this?
2: So I I guess anybody that gets into photography will kind of know this. Like, whenever you're taking pictures and then you look at your own photos, like, I look at this photo, I'm like, that's a garbage picture. But over time, (laughs) you slowly, like, the only way to get better is take a bunch of pictures that you think are garbage and continuously put them out. And slowly you'll get better and better and better, even if you still think they're garbage. So when I'm looking at this, like what really ties me to images is the trips that went with them. Uh, This was on a 10-day trip down in the canyons of Utah. And within the canyons, you get what is called reflected light. So if you're walking in this massive canyon, the sun will shine off one of the canyon walls and then it will reflect off onto everything else in the background. So you'll get all this detail on all the trees that looks really cool and that's just reflected light partially hitting like where you see the tree trunks and it's a lot of detail that's all reflected light and then you also have some sun shining down and hitting like dappled parts of the different uh foliage in the foreground and stuff so anytime you have like light within a scene if you have direct light on the whole scene it's really hard to have a sense of depth within the image but if you have what's called like dappled light, how you can see it's just touching different specific areas yeah. and then it's dark in other areas, that provides your eyes with a sense of depth because they can kind of see that things are on different uh, planes from foreground to background. And it just helps a lot with that. So that's like one of the things you can do when setting up shots is look for dappled light like that. That's not too harsh.
0: Wow. It's beautiful. Let's check out another one if you're cool with that. Yeah, go for it. This one right here. I'm a big Um, mountains fan, and that's just beautiful.
2: Nice. That's from the Canadian Rockies, uh, which I think that spot's probably pretty popular. Now, I took that about six or seven years ago, and I went up there with my dad, um, and we went backpacking out there. And it was probably the worst bug pressure that I've ever felt in my life. But the views are really beautiful. Those peaks just rise up, as you can see, out of the middle of nowhere from that lake. Um, So we were doing some backpacking. And then we did some camping out there. Um, it's not a very long hike, but it's a pretty beautiful location. So it's perfect to take my dad out there.
0: Yeah, the sky is just perfect.
2: Yeah, it's man, those perfect. kind of days are so nice for backpacking. It was probably like, I don't know, 60 highs oh, that day, wow. like freezing-ish at night, which I think is like the ideal backpacking temperature.
0: Yeah, it's best. It's the best to sleep in anyways, I think.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So
0: Well, here's another one. This was the one I actually talked to you about this one when we before we got online here with everybody else, but I want to I wanna kinda talk about what we were talking about before. When I looked at this one, a lot of people when they do nature photography or landscape photography, they always make the water look like this big white swoosh. And it, it never to me looks like water. I mean it looks cool, but it doesn't look like water. And you've been able to actually make the water just look like water and to me, it just caught my eye, and I thought, for one thing, the landscape itself was amazing with the light in the back and the way the clouds are and everything, but how did you get it to look like that? Yeah, good question. Um, so I get where you're coming from with the the really uh,
2: silky, smooth, long water that kind of looks unnatural, um, which can always be fun to do, but whenever you're taking shots of water in any landscape or it could be clouds or anything that's dynamic or moving, a lot of times shooting at much shorter shutter speeds, like a 10th or a 5th or a half of a second, will show a lot more detail on the water than taking a shutter speed or exposure time, whatever you want to call it, of like 30 seconds. Because the 30-second exposure just averages everything out in the scene. So it becomes like one big blur, like you were talking about with that yeah. white kind of blurry averaged water. So whenever you shoot at shorter shutter speeds, you get a lot of color and detail that's reflected because all the colors aren't averaging together over that longer exposure time. So that can be a big help. I'll often take multiple different exposures of the same composition. One will capture the whole scene. And then I'll take a few more that just concentrate on whatever's moving in the scene. And I'll mix up the shutter speeds just for that part of the image. So I can overlay them when I get home and you can just blend them together in Photoshop, which gives you what you're seeing right there. So, everything's natural, all the colors are natural, the scene's natural, but you kind of combine different things that you couldn't do in one single shot in camera.
0: That's uh, it's a beautiful shot, that's for sure. Absolutely beautiful Thanks, shot. Man. You get a yeah, lot of really a... Cool comments too just so you know. Um you've got you got the uh, light in this picture is beautiful. Um the wa- he makes water look like water, I call him photography Jesus. <laughs> um you've got it looks like Mordor in the background that was in a uh, beautiful beautiful photos
2: that's up in the uh in the highlands of iceland and that's i just complained about giving out gps locations that's not really a gps location because have fun finding that in the highlands of iceland it's a pretty massive (laughs) place Um, but if you guys if anybody wants to go backpacking in some pretty wild landscapes the iceland highlands are unbelievable just volcanic rock mixed with that lush green mixed with mountains and snow and everything else along with glaciers it's unbelievable
1: Um, good spot to explore so you do a lot of this stuff solo uh
2: yeah i do um it's really hard to like you guys know this it's the communication and the background of lining up trips with people and then finding people that you mesh with just takes so much time that most of the stuff i just do solo um I still go on a few trips a year with my friends, but it's more just like a friend's trip where we hang out and drink whiskey at night and just talk crap on each other all day. Um, but like the photography stuff I just do by myself.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And When
1: you do the solo, have you gotten into any like super hairy situations where you're like, Oh, I'm by myself. I wish I wasn't by myself. and uh, I'm not really (laughs) sure what to do here or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, I guess there's always, um, the scariest situations for me are pack rafting solo, because if you make one small error, you get caught on like a rapid or something, there's nobody to help you out. Uh, So I think there's a lot of times that it's just always running in the background. There's like this high level of tension. And at night I can feel like loosen up a little bit, like, Oh man, another day safe. But it's your, it's normally not running into something that at the moment I'm like, Oh man, I'm stuck here. Um, but I think, I mean, you can get hurt at any time. I would recommend to anybody that wants to do solo trips first, get really good at backpacking with friends. um, so you feel comfortable. Second, really know how to navigate. And by navigate, I don't mean just pushing like the GPS on your phone when you're on a trail by navigate. I mean, when you're actually really lost in the wilderness, you'll start freaking out. And if you don't know how to get out of there, you're not going to figure it out out there on the fly. Um, And the third thing, go get a wilderness first responder. If you're going to do a lot of trips by yourself, it's a 10 day intensive course that teaches you how to basically be the first responder to an emergency incident. It doesn't make you invincible, but it sure does allow you to do a lot more than you could without it. Um, So those are like my crutches that I use to justify to myself that I'm not doing stupid stuff, but sometimes, I mean, you're still just going to be in risky situations and, if you want to do it, it's something you'll have to just deal with. But it's probably still way more dangerous driving to the trailhead. Um, highways are real dangerous, <laughs> okay. yeah. so I try to keep that in mind. But it definitely can be scary at times. I mean, you're you're out there by yourself. You can always, I mean, helps to have a Garmin in reach, many,
0: but yeah. also doesn't make you invincible.
1: That's but it
2: helps.
0: True. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, let's let's take a look at another one of these photos, man. This is this one I love just because it's that thing where you everybody you can see this with the eye a lot of times, but you it seems like when you try and take a photo of this, it's hard to get what you've got here, where you can see all the different sections of mountains just kind of fading to different colors.
2: Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I got better with over time, and I'm still trying to get better at. Um, Whenever you're taking images, like we were talking about depth and dappled light before showing like 3D to an image, whenever you can separate out colors, even if they're very small differences in color. So you'll notice at the very bottom right, it's a very dark, like bluish color. And then as it goes back in the scene, it gets lighter and lighter blue. Now, if you can shoot that in the field, it's great. But when you're editing the photo, that's also going to help to give some depth to the scene because you can see all the different layering if I would have kept all the color and light exactly the same, it can be really hard to tell that you're actually looking back into a landscape and that everything's not on the same distance or plane as you are. Um, so creating depth through color and variation and light is something you just slowly learn over time. And it's something that like, I guess my eye just slowly becomes accustomed to editing and shooting a lot more photos, but I think it's like a learned thing you kind of get used to over time. Um, definitely not like a natural habit at least what I found it to be um if you saw my photos from 10 years ago you'd be like dude you're not coming on this show they're they're horrible
1: <laughs> I was wondering I was wondering uh like I, I assume that you're in your mid-30s from watching your videos is yeah at least what I thought yep. and I didn't know when the whole photography journey started and then at what point did it kind of like actually start coming to fruition? You know, mm-hmm. like you went yeah. from being an amateur to actually, hey, this this is no longer a hobby. This is a passion and I can actually live off this and my stuff. You look back at it. I, I don't know about you, but anytime I look back at the things I first created, I'm like, oh, wow, that sucked. And now you're like, well, it'll probably, I'll probably think it sucks, you know, whenever I've uh, been doing this another 20 years or whatever, Mm -hmm. but how long, how long did it take you to actually get to that point and uh, no longer be the amateur?
2: That's a really good question. I guess I look at it more of like, I still don't think I'm there yet. Like if you were to ask me, If I have professional level photos, I would tell you no, but I guess that's what keeps me driving to get better at a constant rate. But I guess as soon as you can teach people something or show somebody a path or a way to do things or provide somebody with art that they like, as long as you have enough people that like your stuff, you're technically a professional to some people, or maybe not a professional, but you could be an expert. Um, I guess when I first moved out to the Pacific Northwest like 10 years ago, I moved out here first because I was doing aerospace engineering. I was building airplanes at Boeing, um, which is like what you fly across the world or the country in. So like these big jumbo jets. And I got out here, I was like, dude, this place is amazing for doing outdoor stuff. So I started taking pictures and then it just slowly morphed into, okay, I like this, but I'm going to take it up to the next level and the next level. And then eventually it hit a point where I was like, well, what happens if I just jump off the cliff and do it full time? I mean, worst case scenario, I can go back and get another job in the field that I was in. So it's not like there's a huge downside. If I take the risk, the positive upside is that if I do figure out how to do it, then I can be my own boss and I can like live the way that I want to and run a business like I want and go backpacking and take photos. So that point hit about six years ago where I, just jumped off the cliff. Now, when I said jump off the cliff, I still had savings, like emergency savings. My business was doing pretty well by then, not to the point that it was doing as well as my old income. But over time, it got up to the point where I make a great living now. I mean, I'm not a rich guy, but I have freedom. I mean, you can go backpacking, I can take photos, and I have plenty of money to live the way that I like. So I see it as successful in that way. But I think as soon as you can provide people with knowledge, like I've watched your YouTube videos, Jeremiah, there might be people like Andrew Skirka that know a lot more than you, but you can teach people what you know and that's all you really need to provide value to people. And as you continue to do that, you'll learn more and more and you'll get better and better as you keep doing the stuff you like to do. And then you'll have more and more people that are following and learning from you. Um, So I don't really ever judge it as like, am I an expert at this thing yet? I just more judge it as can I create stuff that people like, and can I teach people about stuff or ways that I've learned to do things? Um, So hopefully that clarifies it a little bit, but still lots to learn lots to improve upon and lots to uh, explore.
0: Well, I was going to say, it doesn't matter like how much you have in savings. That doesn't make it any less scary when you jump off the side, when you say, I'm going to go do this. No, there's still the unknown. There's still the unknown. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Um, Having the savings definitely doesn't hurt because you can make longer term decisions for your business instead of like short term. I need money now decisions. Right. Because I mean, one thing you can sense in businesses when they're trying to make a quick buck, it's a huge turnoff. But when you see businesses that are in it for the long term and want to help people and provide something to people or provide a service, teach, provide art, if they're not in it for the quick buck, like I can sense that in people. And I know that everybody can sense that. So you know, savings and like an emergency plan in place, you don't have to be the quick buck guy. So it's a lot better chance your business will survive long-term because you can make long-term decisions.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's get back to some photos because this next one yeah. is, is amazing. Of course, you're probably not going to think so, but we think so. Um, That's all good, man. <laughs> I got, somebody's got to slam my photos. Yeah, um, dude, shot of the Milky Way with the reflection in the water. Uh, beautiful shot. Thanks. Uh, so
2: this one was just as the moon was starting to come up over the horizon. So you can see on the left-hand side on that, uh, like the edge of the Lake, there's a little bit of light hitting there. So sometimes it's fun to shoot Milky way under like pitch black with no moon. But the problem with that is you can't really see any details in the foreground, but if you shoot the Milky way, just as like a crescent moon, maybe like a 10 to 20% moon is coming up over the horizon. You get this really nice lighting on the whole scene, but the sky is still dark enough that you can see all this the stars and the Milky Way and stuff. Um, Now, if you were to shoot under zero moonlight, the Milky Way and stars would be a whole lot brighter, and you would see a lot more, so you have to kind of decide, well, do I want to show foreground detail or like detail in the landscape and the Milky Way, or do I just want to show the stars? Just want to show the stars? Just shoot under no moonlight. If you want to show... Some of the surrounding landscape helps kind of fill in the story of the scene. That really small crescent moon just peeking up over the horizon is awesome for it.
1: Yeah. I saw this question asked earlier, and I'm always curious about these not scenes because mm-hmm. I, I don't really practice photography. I'm I'm terrible at it. But oh, it's all good. Whenever I do some photography, there's a lot of editing. And in fact, you know, every YouTube video that I make. Mm-hmm. It has to have two really important things before it can even be a good video. One is a title, a clickable title, and two is a a great thumbnail. And oh, it's I think so hard. The, yes, it's very, very yes. difficult. And even doing the thumbnail, I mean, you know, like you, for those that don't know, you have like almost 50,000 subscribers on YouTube, so you know the pain of having to do all of the YouTube backend work that people don't see. They just see you talk on a video because they click and watch it. And I have to edit the photos, every photo I take and especially yep. a thumbnail and it's be great. So how much editing is actually taking place in your photos to make it either look the way you want it or look the way you actually saw it to the, the naked human eye.
2: Nice. That's a really good question. Um, the longer I've been in the game, the less and less I edit photos and the more strategic I am with each photo edit. So that photo right there, I probably took 15 to 20 minutes to edit it max. But wow, I mean, eight years ago, I would have taken a lot longer than that and it would have looked way worse. Um, that's a guarantee. So it's, <laughs> it's like as you do it more and more, I'm sure you guys know this with like backpacking stuff. Like when you go on a backpacking trip and you're out there for eight days, I don't know if you guys do this, but you pack and unpack everything and you get in this routine of like, this thing goes here, my pack, this thing goes there in my pack. And you like, you really dial it in. And by the end of the trip, you're like, Oh man, my packing and unpacking process is perfect. Everything goes in this spot. When I take everything out of the pack, it goes to this spot, to the tent. And that's that. So like the process of photo editing can be very similar as you do it more and more, you refine your process more and more and it gets cleaner. And then it just doesn't take as long to do anything. I mean, go backpacking with somebody that's going for the first time and watch them every night and every morning. They'll spend three hours getting their stuff unpacked. And then yeah. you watch like somebody like Andrew Skirka, he'll take like 10 minutes because it, it like it's just ingrained into the muscle memory, right? Um, yeah. and the same thing goes for photo editing. So not not long anymore. I would say the max I take is like an hour to edit a photo.
0: That's cool. Somebody actually has a question about this picture in particular here. He said, yeah. is the foreground a different pick than the Milky way? It's dark. And I assume there was a longer exposure, 10 seconds. So I just wonder how the foreground is dark. Uh,
2: no, it's they're two, they're one single image. And what you can do is you can do, what's called double processing. So I will take one raw file out in the field. That's just what they're called raw files. So it captures the whole scene. And from that file, you can put it into Photoshop and you can basically adjust it as far as the raw settings in the file go two times. So it mimics like two different images and then you can blend them together. Um, but I prefer to just use file if at all possible, cause it makes things way, way easier. Excuse me. So an image like that, I probably took that at, I don't know. I probably focused right about where the core of the Milky Way is in the water. And I would say that probably taken it 20 seconds, 14 millimeter focal length, and ISO like 3200 or something. And then I cropped it down because it's not a standard 3x2 crop. There's a bunch of dead space on the sides that didn't really help, so I figured I'd crop it.
0: Yeah, the picture is fantastic. I mean, it's a phenomenal photo.
1: It's an absolutely phenomenal photo.
2: Thanks, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, that was I would cool. like to... Sorry, John, go ahead. Oh, you're good, man. Go ahead. I was just going to point out, um, some people may have the same misconception that I had before I started, you know, my journey was I got into videography, doing YouTube, got a little bit into photography because you kind of have to, whenever you're doing videography, a lot of the same elements. And then I discovered Photoshop is not some dirty word that can only be used to like make girls butts big and to like (laughs) remove pimples. (laughs) (laughs) Like Photoshop and all the other tools out there, whether it's Lightroom or something besides Adobe, all those are so powerful. And, you know, the best thing I think that you can do, and you may be able to attest to this, is you you get everything dialed in settings-wise. That's going to make your editing a lot easier, Mm -hmm. a lot more smoothly, and you have the right information actually hitting the sensor. Absolutely. I just want to point out that... I think that it's unfair to say that if somebody uses Photoshop to improve or enhance a photo to make it look the way they want it to look, which I would consider art, or the way that they want it or the or make it look like you saw it, like if you were actually standing there mm-hmm. to make it as true as possible. Photoshop and all those other enhancing tools, they're they're very they got a steep learning curve, they're hard to use yeah. until you get the hang of it, and it's a big process that you learn. And I don't want anybody to think anything less of someone that uses those tools because everybody uses them, especially you chicks on Snapchat using the filters. Like Um, everybody's using them.
2: I'll I'll riff on that a little bit more too. So whenever you're using like your cell phone to shoot, like let's say you take iPhone pictures out in the field. What's happened is you're capturing this image and your phone's quickly processing the image. So you can just see it right on your screen. Right now, when you shoot with, Pro model DSLR cameras or mirrorless cameras or video, what you capture out in the field is just trying to capture the most amount of data from the scene. So it doesn't want the photo to look exactly like it will once you get it back home and edit it. It wants to capture the most amount of data from the scene. So it removes all contrast, it removes a ton of saturation. And the only way to get back what you actually saw out in the field is you actually have to bring it into Photoshop. You edit the raw file. That's whatever you captured out in the field. It's just called a raw file. If you just leave that by itself, it just looks flat and dead. There's nothing to it. It's like video when you shoot it out in the field. It's normally pretty flat if you have to do some processing to it. So you clean it up a little bit back at home. All Photoshop allows you to do is it allows you to basically do two things. You can either brighten or darken parts of the image. Or you can saturate or desaturate parts of the image or change their color. So you're basically changing the color or the light within specific parts of the image. And whenever you're looking at a photo that looks nice, what the photographer is able to do is draw your eyes to things they want you to look at and take your eyes away from things they don't want you to look at. So by lightening up parts of the image or saturating them, making them more colorful, your eyes will automatically be drawn there. Things that are darker or desaturated your eyes won't look at as much so whenever you look at that milky way image most of it's dark and desaturated but that's the only reason you really pay attention to the milky way and you're not distracted by the rest of the stuff so photoshop is just part of the game it's how you get an image from out in the field with a pro body camera to look like it actually did when you're out there shooting it um it just gets a bad rap but it's just one of the tools of the trade that you need to be an expert at if you want to make professional level images or attempt to make professional level images.
1: So, in, in Oh, sorry, John, one more oh, thing. Yeah, go for it. In, in Photoshop's defense and those people that, that say it's a bad thing, you can heavily manipulate images. You can take out power lines. You can, I mean, you could do pretty much anything that you want and manipulate an image to make it look the way you want it to be. It does. You can use it as a tool to, Hundred percent change what it actually looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Go, go ahead, John. Well, we just had a comment on here, and I'm curious
0: too. Do you softly say "got it" after snapping the pick, like when you know it's a good one? <laughs> like you just like that's you hilarious. just get like that's the one right there. That was it. Do you ever get that moment when you're taking a photo? Uh,
2: you would think so, but the funny part is, is when you're viewing pictures on a little camera screen back out in the field. Same with video. A lot of times what you think is a really good composition or everything's perfect, once you see it like full size or even like on laptop or big desktop screen size, there's a lot of small details or things you didn't see on the back of the screen when you're capturing it that kind of screw the photo up. So sometimes you think that and you get home and you're like, oh, I was totally wrong. And then other times (laughs) out in the field, you'll take some shots that you think are garbage, or that aren't your favorite and you'll get home and you'll be like, oh man, this one actually is one of my favorites from the trip. So it's kind of a big, it's a big mind game from what you think you got that was good out in the field to what actually converts into a good image once you're done editing. Uh, very hard to guess, but yeah, sometimes I say that and I'm always
0: wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, here's no, another gotta... shot. Here's another shot I want to I throw up here real quick because this was—this one's a little different than the other ones. Uh, the Aurora Borealis. Um, nice yeah i'll uh, oh, go ahead i cut you off no, I was just, no where where in the world were you not i don't want to geotag or anything but like what part oh, of the world good. were you in when you took this uh,
2: that's in alaska um in northern alaska up above fairbanks about three hours uh, that's a level nine storm so you don't see those too often uh usually you see like if you're lucky like a level two or three storm so we had three nights of like level eight and nine storms and it's it's like a psychedelic experience. Um, the It's moved so quickly through the sky and shifts so constantly that it's hard to even shoot. So like if anybody's taken Northern Lights photos before, if you're shooting like a level two or three storm, the aurora doesn't move that quickly in the sky and it's not that bright. So you might shoot at like a 20 second shutter speed, but when it's blasting off like level nine storm, you have to shoot it like a one or two second shutter speed because it's moving so fast that you can't capture the detail otherwise. It um, was about negative forty degrees Fahrenheit that night, which is wow. probably pretty close to negative forty degrees Celsius. They're they're starting to converge at that point, I believe. <laughs> wow! Dang and batteries have to battery will last for about two minutes in that condition.
1: <laughs> I bet it sucks <laughs> the
2: battery out of it. It's horrible. You got to keep them all like you wear like a massive down jacket, um, but you just keep them tucked right next to your body and you have like eight of them. So your, your body temperature's keeping that Damn. back up slightly warm and you just cycle them in and out constantly.
1: Now, do you have to, um, in this photo and just typically, and it could be a mix. Mm-hmm. Are you mostly setting up the tripod and are you using a, a remote so that you're not shaking the camera or using a camera app or something like that? Or do you sometimes run and gun too?
2: yeah good question um i will as cameras get better and better you can run and gun more because like around sunset you can shoot handheld and just crank the iso up a little bit which basically lets you have a shorter shutter speed so you can shoot handheld but for the sharpest images you still want to use a tripod because any movement at all with the camera and you'll see it'll be an out of focus image so like that that's set up on a tripod um I just naturally take all my landscape images on a tripod because it keeps them sharper and trying to see if it's perfectly sharp on the back of the screen, it's okay in the field to like zoom in and see if it's sharp. But a lot of times you miss very small movements. And by using the tripod, you're guaranteed to have a sharper image. Um, You can also shoot a lot wider range of shutter speeds on a tripod and not have to constantly think about, Oh, is the shutter speed fast enough to constant or compensate for the tripod? Um, So a lot of times what I'll do when I get to a spot for sunrise or sunset, I'll walk around with the camera in my hand, like before the light gets good, like an hour before sunset and just point and shoot with my camera. I'll pick a few compositions that I think might look nice. And then I'll go back and review. Maybe there's like eight compositions that I think might look cool. I'll pick out the first one that I like the most. And when the lights good, I'll go and concentrate just on that composition and I'll shoot it until I deem that shots good. And then if there's still time left in the sunset, I'll move to what I deem to be the second best composition. So I'm not running all over the place, like hoping for the best, because if you just get one really good composition from a spot with really good light, you're good. You don't need anything else. People don't want to see like a slight variation of this and a slight variation of that. And that's one of the things I learned over time is because when it's really good light, meaning like awesome sunrise or sunset or like aurora like that, If you're running all over the place, trying to get an average shot of 10 different things, you're better off getting a world-class shot of just one specific thing. Um, So usually I shoot tripod, but I set the compositions up before without the tripod because nobody wants to use a tripod. It just yields better results.
0: Yeah. The human hand doesn't sit as steady as we think it does.
2: No, it doesn't. Um, Same for video, right? I mean, if you shoot video on a tripod versus like moving around, GoPro is pretty good stabilization. Uh, somehow it's unbelievable but like make any sense yeah it doesn't make any sense but like if you try with a regular dslr or mirrorless it just it just doesn't look as sharp right
0: Uh, and sometimes they have as you say even if they have stabilization you're getting the wobble in the corners like it may not be in your face but it's out in the corners of the picture so yep and
2: a lot of times like if you shoot handheld for a still frame you won't see unless you look over the whole image there'll be a little part of it that moves so you'll have like something out in the corner that's out of focus. But if you shoot on tripod, you don't have to worry about that. Unless it's really windy. Sometimes it's so windy that uh, it, it's hard to keep it steady. Oh, and you asked about uh, a shutter. Like having like a little shutter release. Yeah,
1: clicker. So you're not yeah, moving yeah. I, the...
2: I just put a five-second delay on the camera. So you push the shutter button once.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It waits five seconds. And then it takes it. And that takes out any shake from like when you push the button. It'll shake the camera a little bit. Smart, you put man. that five-second timer just delays it it dampens out that shake and then it looks good um i just don't carry a timer because wait you guys know the game right yeah yeah that extra battery extra device that's a few it's a few <laughs> ounces dude. yes i didn't want to
1: point out this could be the teacher in me i'll make this short and sweet i don't want to bore anybody but a few key terms that that he's naming there basically like the reader's digest version is yeah. your camera it's got a sensor And, uh, there's these little blades that open up and let light hit that sensor. And Mm so whenever he's mentioning the shutter speed, it's like how, how much time has elapsed between the blades opening, closing and exposing the light. So it's a combination of your shutter speed and a few other things that maybe we can do an episode talking about the exposure triangle and doing images and stuff. But right right now is not the time to talk. Well, yeah, here, yeah, that would be really I, wa- I got
0: one more picture I want to get to because we're, we're starting to run out yeah. of time. I wanna, this was the picture for me that was my all, that like of all of them. It was my favorite because when I first looked at it, I thought "Oh, that was nice. And then when I blew it up and looked at it, I was I was blown away. And I'm probably going to show it and you're going to be like, yeah, that picture's not very good. But I'm still going to show it it's to it you because <laughs> I think it's phenomenal.
1: Um, it's fun to talk
2: about either way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's this one right here, and I'm going to make this full screen right now because when I first looked at it, I didn't look to the very back center where you can see the peak of the mountain in the back. Yeah. And uh, that is phenomenal, man.
2: That's, uh, uh, if people want to do some Googling, that mountain in the back, the, uh, that's the most glaciated peak in the lower 48, the second
0: tallest. The first uh, tallest is Mount zoom. Whitney.
1: Yeah. Huh? John, can you zoom in a little bit so that we're full frame? Uh, I don't know if uh, you that's can about, or
0: not. I think that might be as big as I can get it. Let me see. I don't okay. know. No, I can't really.
1: Oh, it's all good. Um, really
0: zoom that in.
2: So, so that's, a, that's a massive volcanic. And that, that blue line you guys can see, that's actually the uh, shadow of the sunset. So whenever you oh. see like a line come down like that over the horizon, you get like the start of Alpine Glow. That's the shadow of the earth. So everything above where it's pink that's just the sunlight hitting and then that line you see that's blue that's the shadow of the earth blocking the sun and everything below it's just in in dark um that's actually one of that location's awesome it's takes about five days to get out into and it's one of the biggest wilderness locations in the lower 48 i think it actually it's the second biggest i think um you guys can Google and do some searching. This is more fun than giving out GPS locations. It's like, uh, (laughs) it's like, you got to go find stuff on your own. It's in the Pacific
0: Northwest. We're not going to make it easy. No, it's more fun. You got to find it out. (laughs) But I just, I, I love the color in the picture or the photo. I love the color in it. I love, I love the fact that you're looking and then all of a sudden there's just this faint crest in the back. Like you just don't, I wasn't expecting to see that until I blew it up. And, Uh, if you're on a TV right now, make this thing, you know, you're seeing this full screen more so than we are, but man, that is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. beautiful. the blue
1: and orange contrast. Oh, it looks so um,
0: good.
2: If I can riff on another tip for photos, uh, something that works really well, if you want to make your photos look nice or video, this works for any kind of like visual art, is you can work off of what are called color harmonies. So if you look at a color wheel, you can just Google RGB color wheel. Colors that lie across from each other on that color wheel will normally look nice together. So things that are warm like yellows, oranges, reds, usually look nice next to things that are cool like blues, generally blues like dark magentas, cool blue magentas. And they're just naturally appealing to our eyes. So those are just called color harmonies. And you can work that into video. Anything else generally looks pretty nice. Um, so long as you stick with like a few different simple colors.
1: <laughs> look, <laughs> look at this comment. Yep. Give us homework. <laughs> Give yeah, us good. Homework get to homework. work. <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, I, I, I love looking at
2: people's pictures and trying to triangulate where they took it from. I would, I don't know. That's fun. <laughs> I think yeah, man. Fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be a challenging hike to get to. That is awesome, man. Yeah. yeah uh so, so we camped right up where that was taken from you can
2: bivy out there it's windy as hell though um it was up all night should have put a camp down instead of a bivy that's always the downside <laughs> of a bivy it looks nice and it's great to look at the stars from a bivy and then the wind kicks up and you're like man i wish i had my tent set up
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah i, yeah, I saw totally you in the that.
1: duplex man but that blocks out all the stars i know Unfortunate. <laughs> so, What's Paoli
0: Peaks, final answer, Indiana.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's
0: a that's, that's that 1500 that's, foot mountain in Paoli. Yeah, that's it.
1: <laughs> lots of, that's lots of
0: glaciers down
2: there in Indiana. Yeah,
0: <laughs> those Indiana glaciers are world famous. They're huge. <laughs> so
2: good, Well, good guess. Any more guesses? Oh, someone, that's
0: Someone fun. said Mount Rainier good cast, that's it that's the the same guy that
1: said paley peaks yeah (laughs) that's Mount. that's Mount Rainier. all right (laughs) so one of my buddies invited me to summit mount rainier um and i guess it would be whenever it's passable he he lived in washington for years and i guess he summoned it a few times and i'm not super into climbing and bouldering and all that but he's like you can handle it man but I think that, that would be very intense. I mean, I know that you were taking the photo of Mount Rainier, right? Or yeah. That, was, on that was taken of Mount Rainier.
2: Um, yeah. so Mount, you can climb Mount Rainier many different ways. There's very simple ways where you can just walk up. Um, so long as you know, basic rope skills and self arrest with the ice axe. I mean, they take I people don't. up there that don't know. They take people up there that don't know any of that stuff. Um, now you yeah. can climb a lot of routes on Mount Rainier that are like, world-class climbing but when you get to the top you're going to hit like a mass of people like it's a busy mountain to climb um because it's easy to get to but there's a lot of really technical climbing and really easy climbing on the mountain so you can get everything um now there's a lot of other peaks in washington that are volcanoes that are way more fun to climb in my opinion with nobody on them um so you sh- he he probably knows those too i would guess
0: <laughs> i bet you're right
2: yeah, yeah, I was um, gonna say so, uh,
0: Mount Rainier and Mount Whitney are both like touristy. I mean, there's like they are a lot of people that get up on both of those. So yeah,
2: both close access. Um, the radius from the parking lot to the p- to the summit is small, so you can run that one, and it's normally a guarantee there'll be people up top.
0: Yeah, and you're not. It's yeah. not like you're starting from like zero on your, mm. on your elevation. You're starting up pretty high already when you get to it. So
2: Absolutely. That's, that's the one crazy thing about hiking in the Pacific Northwest is like our peaks. Well, Mount Rainier is a massive peak. It's like fourteen three or ish. I don't know. I don't have it exact, but a lot of the peaks are like 12, 13,000. But when you're hiking into like the wilderness peaks where you're not driving up like Mount Rainier, you're hiking from essentially like two or 300 feet above sea level all the way up and like you might think of going out in the wind rivers or something or like the rockies well there you're hiking from it's still really hard cuz you're at elevation right but you're not hiking up as high you're hiking from maybe like 8 9000 feet up to like 12 or 14 um so mm-hmm. the pacific northwest like the variation in elevation is crazy um have you guys ever read fred becky's books
0: no no
2: uh, you should watch this movie it's called dirtbag the legend of fred becky he was actually that yeah, yeah, he's pioneered all the climbing out here. every every route has his name on it. not everyone, but um he's got some good books too, not just about climbing routes, but like about the stories of being out here before roads, before a lot of people when there was just like mining camps and you had to hike. Now I can drive across the Cascade ranges, which is the range that runs north south in Washington State. There's a few ways you can like drive across it, and there's tons of wilderness between. But it used to be that there were no roads across it, so they would their approaches for a backpacking or climbing trip would be like two weeks on approach, and then you get to get into the trip. So it's, it's like only a hundred years ago. It's pretty yeah. wild.
0: Well, I know when we did Kilimanjaro, it was we started at five thousand feet. And I mean, you're still climbing 14,000, but we were already 5,000 into it by the time we got to the base of the mountain. So like when you're saying you're starting at 200 feet, it's not just the amount of elevation you're climbing. It's the difference in temperature and uh, the oxygen levels and everything else. It's just, it's a massive difference between 200 feet and and 12,000 or 14,000 feet. So it's pretty massive.
2: um, The one thing I like a lot about, I like like I like to go backpacking anywhere in the U.S. But the one unique thing about the ranges in the Pacific Northwest is that you go from like lush jungle rainforest up into subalpine and then alpine, and you you can't get from one point on the map over to another mountain range without going all the way back down and going all the way back up. So you might go on like an eight-day backpacking trip, and you're like at I don't know, say eight times like maybe 40 K of gain over the trip. Wow! I mean like four or 5,000 feet a day. Cause you can't just go follow like things straight through once you're up in the Alpine. A lot of times you have to drop down and go back up. Cause there's just, it's just rugged um, which is pretty wild. Cause you have to see the entire transition of different ecosystem every time. Whereas like up in the Rockies, you kind of have that, but you're up pretty high already. So you're in the Alpine even in denver like you're in the desert alpine ish kind of place um so i just like the variation in the ecosystem out here it's pretty neat to see
0: yeah it's it's pretty amazing out there i'm really it, it's a goal to spend at least a week out there at some point i i'm i'm hoping in a few years to do the john muir trail uh just nice. because going through all of that would be amazing absolutely you should amazing.
2: talk you should talk to Skirka about some better routes than the john muir trail that are in really? that same area
0: yeah
1: Ooh, I bet that he knows all about it, man. See, now here's the problem. See, I,
0: it's time to say we've been talking for a little over an hour now, and we've got to let it go. So <laughs> keep talking, have to talk, dude. We may have to talk for a few minutes after this thing cuts off. So, <laughs> so you, you piqued my interest when you said we may need to find a separate route here because I'm well, all about finding places people haven't been and, and checking things out like that. So yeah, John Muir is like a super
2: John Muir super highway. Uh, now some people like super highways, like they like. Like it's like through hikes, it's like hiking the PCT, right? Like I'm not against hiking the PCT. It's just not for me personally because like I just have other stuff that I'm into. If you like like the hiking culture and like hanging out with people, um, you might love the PCT. It's all about finding the things that you're into. And of course, the PCT is popular online. So everybody thinks that's the only option. But if you're into the other kind of stuff, there's also that stuff too. It's just generally not publicized as much because there's not as many people doing it. Um, So I always try to look for that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, we have been talking for a little over an hour and I want to make sure people have a chance to find you online. So if you want to give whatever you want to give, I'll throw your, uh, your website address here on the bottom so everybody can see it. Are there other ways people can find you online?
2: Yeah. You can just go and type my name into Google, Dave Morrow, D-A-V-E-M-O-R-R-O-W. It'll come up. Uh, You can go into YouTube. And type my name, or you can just go to my website, and that's the hub for everything. I don't have any other social media. So those are the two spots you can find me.
1: Yeah, DaveMorrowPhotography.com.
2: That's it. it. You guys can find everything right there. Thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate you uh, listening to my rambling rants for an hour and 10 minutes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been a good time, man. It's been a really good time. So uh, thanks for being on. Um, Jeremiah, you have any other questions before we close this thing
1: out? I just think it's super interesting, man, the, we, so you love backpacking and you also do photography and last week we talked to David Gray and the, the photography aspect mixed with the backpacking just brings a different dynamic with, I mean, just in general, but on the podcast and Mm. I want to say thank you for helping us be different and, and, and It's just so interesting to me. It's like a completely different door that's open that also is a part of nature. So the landscape photography, dude, amazing. Thank you so much. And I'd love to talk to you again um, at some point in the future and get more into uh, some of the trips that you've been on, some of those awesome experiences, and, and just advice as well. Because you're out there like 10 days at a time, you know, half the month. So, you know, I'd love to follow up with that.
2: I'd be happy to come back on. I'd, I'll talk to you guys anytime. You just let me know. I appreciate Sweet. it. Sweet. That well, sounds awesome, hang-
1: man. <laughs> that
0: sounds awesome. Thank you for being on. And hang on hang on in the green room for just a few minutes. Eat some of those green M&Ms we've got in there for you. <laughs> oh, I will. And uh, we'll chat with you in just a second. Later, guys. Thanks for watching. See you, man. See ya, Man, that was I'm I'm loving this. Like two weeks of photography is really cool. So if you were if you were listening to the podcast right now, um, make sure you get home and get online, go to the Backpacking Podcast YouTube channel, subscribe to it because that's the only way you're going to get to watch these live streams in a couple months. And make sure you watch this so you can see these photos because they are absolutely amazing. And if you just want to go to his website and check it all out, his photography is amazing.
1: Yeah. Dave Morrow com. I would, I mean, it is breathtaking, bro. It makes me so jealous, but I mean, I understand I haven't put in the time and work and energy and he has, and it definitely shows man. it's next level.
0: Well, that's the best part about it because he did all the work. We get to look at all the pictures, which is the best part, right? (laughs) So uh, it it just some phenomenal stuff, but uh, next, we got two great guests coming up next week. We got, uh, Justin Sylvester is coming back on. And if you got a chance to listen to his episode or watch the live stream that he was on, uh, he talked about his friend, Randy, who is blind and he took him into the,
1: uh, was it the, the mountains of New Hampshire? Is that right? I can't remember if it's the Watts or, um, the Adirondacks. I can't remember. It's, it's an Epic story, but it's not actually next week. The live stream is on it's April in two the 12th. weeks 12th that's yes, our next
0: guest in two weeks next week's vacay
1: baby that's right Everybody i forgot enjoying? jeremiah's
0: on spring break and you don't ask a teacher to do something on spring break <laughs> that's something we don't do so in two I'll be weeks backpacking that's yes. right in two weeks justin sylvester and his friend randy are going to be on here and they're going to talk about that journey that they went on together which i find to be one of those fascinating stories and not only that that's also where justin found his wife so uh that, what an awesome story to tell, and we're going to get to explore that a little bit more here in a couple
1: weeks. And then the week after that, who do we have on, Jeremiah? Uh, we have April 19th on the live stream. Of course, the, uh, the audio and video on the Backpacking Podcast will be published later, but we have Julia Sheehan. That's right, Would Julia you? Sheehan, fresh off the AZT, fresh off the
0: Arizona Trail, so... She uh, did the Appalachian Trail last year, I believe, or the year before. can't remember which one. I might have been the year before. And uh, she just finished the AZT. She's done a lot of uh, long-distance backpacking, uh, really has a a cool Instagram page, and does a lot of stuff on YouTube. So we're excited to have her on the show here in a few weeks. Um, Man, we
1: got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time, man. Hopefully everybody comes out and keeps joining us. Yeah, and before we leave, I just want to say everybody who can, Jeremiah
0: crossed 14,000 subs here recently on the YouTubes, and I can't get the man to make t-shirts. So I want everybody (laughs) who listens to the podcast, who watches the live streams, (laughs) to get all over Jeremiah so he'll finally make T-shirts so I can wear a T-shirt that says, what's going on, hikers?
1: What's going on, hikers?
0: That's all I'm saying. That's what I want, and I want to see it so Jeremiah and make it happen. Okay? I've uh, pu- <laughs> gone public with this now, so now you have to do
1: it. He is. He wants me to do merchandise, but I just can't will myself into doing it. So look at, Jeremiah, look at this.
0: Even I'd wear one. Chris Iconi, man. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. He would, he would wear one, man. Like, you need to do this. I'm just telling you. I just want to get know, that out. Maybe. I got we'll to get it out of my system. Got to get it out of my system. So <laughs> with that said, Jeremiah, it's been good. It's been good hanging out. And uh, for the rest of y'all, we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, adios, folks. <laughs>